Hey guys, um, it's been a while since I have done any teaching. I'm actually in my room because I have some people here. Well, actually I don't, my father-in-law does. But I wanted to start sharing some of the things I've been learning from the book of Daniel. And when I started studying it, I felt like the Lord was telling me uh, to say the end times because um, I keep getting offended by stupid people in politics and I've got to learn how to navigate through that and not be upset every time a politician lies. Like that's a core value. That's a big one. And uh, so anyway, I'm like, Lord, I, I mean, this has been going on for a while. I need some help. And he said, I want you to study the end of the age. And that was a pretty big ask. Like, where do you start? Do I go to the book of Revelation? Do I go to the book of Daniel? This is after we close up our uh, venue to focus our attention more on the marketplace as a ministry. And then also my father died. And I remember the Sunday after he told me to you know, stay the end times was after he had passed away. And it was such a daunting task. I didn't know if I could even think straight to study. And that's when I heard Holy Spirit tell me, you need to study the book of Daniel. And uh, I am a marketplace person. I am a marketplace minister. I am a businesswoman. And that is my, uh, my first love as far as ministry. And uh, so I was shocked at all the marketplace stuff in Daniel. And so when I first started studying Daniel, I wasn't, I mean, it's just for my own personal study. And I realized God was showing me a lot more um, than I realized when it came to um, the marketplace. So uh, I want to go to um, Daniel 1, 1 through 2. And these are going to be short, uh, just little sermonettes. I guess you would say, because I just want to share what the Lord has shown me. In um, Daniel 1, 1 through 2, it says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over uh, King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, so um, Nebuchadnezzar, the reason Judah was taken captive was because of their idolatry. And God empowered Nebuchadnezzar to execute judgment upon his nation, upon his people. And if you read all of like First and Second Kings, which was one of the last series we did before we closed up the hub venue, um, well, actually did the goodness of God, but you'll see the progression. It was like 400 plus years, I believe, where God was warning his people continuously do not um, keep being involved in idolatry. They wouldn't listen. And so they gave them, he gave them what they wanted. And that was um, idolatry. And so they got a pagan ruler in Nebuchadnezzar. They got a pagan nation that was over them. They were now subjected to pagan laws and mindsets and culture. And the practice of taking the sacred items in the temple, um, that was a an ancient practice of my God is bigger than your God type deal. So when Nebuchadnezzar took the articles um, out of the temple, which it says God permitted him to take some, and then he transferred them to his temple, that was like, my God beat your God. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on here. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what was really going on because the Lord was about to start some covert operations, which I love about this story. Okay, so, um, you know, Back in Judges, whenever the Philistines put the Ark in the Temple of Dagon, we see that 
uh, Dagon versus, I think his hands were missing and then he was toppled over and then his head was, deca you know, de decapitated. And that was a sign that you may put me here, but I am the God of all and Dagon is not a God. But in this case, he is being permitted to take these articles into his temple. But God began working in the Babylonian kingdom through his influencers right from the start to shape history, to preserve a remnant and prepare the way for his first coming and also to give us a picture of an antichrist system that we'll see at the end of the age and what our role is as influencers. Guys, I cannot stress enough, God is working in the marketplace. That is where he's working. And so it is imperative that marketplace ministers, marketplace apostles, those that are business owners or professionals in the marketplace understand that you are not less than a five-fold minister that has a pulpit. They're just two separate locations. Some ministers minister in a building or in a home setting or whatever it is uh, in a five-fold ministry uh, situation. And their sole purpose should be to equip and train you for the work of ministry that's out in a marketplace setting. Because why, sh I mean, we don't need equipping and training unless we're gonna be sent out into a realm of which we need to know how to navigate because innocent as doves as wise as serpents so he had some influencers and daniel and his friend that he was friends that he was going to covertly put into the kingdom of babylon that would actually set the stage for the wise men to come later and worship jesus so it's just it's an amazing thing i'm getting ahead of the game though uh now daniel um you know had Basically, he's taken, you know, captive. Uh, he's from probably royalty. He's probably part of the royal family line, but or possibly the priestly line. But I think he was um, the the royal line, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so he already had a way of thinking that would speak to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I always encourage people. If you want to know how to interact with people in the business world, you must surround yourself with people in the business world. And they think a certain way. They do things a certain way. It doesn't mean you become like them. But once you understand the language, you can then use your gift and your skill and your business, your spiritual gift, uh, by getting some trust currency there to where you then have their ear. And uh, so as far as the end times, Babylon is the epitome of the world system, the anti-God system. And it actually started with Nimrod, just real quick, in Genesis 10, 8 through 12. It says, Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior, which I'm going to explain on earth. And since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. He built his kingdom. He had several world empires. Um, Babylonia, with the cities of Babylon, Erech, Akkad, Kalna. And from there, he expanded his territory to Assyria, building the cities of Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ire and then Kala and then Rezin, which was a city located between Nineveh and Kala. And, and then in the English Standard Version, the New King James, which I'm reading out the New Living, uh, sometimes it's called Babel uh, in those versions, which that's a whole nother. I mean, Babel was in direct opposition to God's command to spread out across the earth to be fruitful and to multiply post-flood. So instead, they decided, and we've all heard the story, but there's some interesting pieces to it a lot of Christians don't know. 
they decided to build this tower to reach the heavens. And that tower, a ziggurat, was actually uh, for the purpose of creating a portal. So they wanted to create a portal of supernatural demonic power so that they could avoid the judgment of God in the future or so they could defeat God's rule over them uh, at that time. Now, Babel wasn't finished because obviously God confused their languages and then they couldn't you know, understand each other, which is why I say it's so important to understand the language of business and to understand the language of Babylon, the marketplace, because then you can have a unity. Um, if you look at the Snopes monkey trials that we lost as believers and that allowed evolution to be taught in schools as curriculum, in spite of the fact that Darwin later recanted his whole theory, um, we weren't smart about it. We, we tried to say, well, the Bible says this. Well, for people who don't know the Bible and who uh, can also be anti-God in general, they don't care. You, the, the best plan would have been to speak their language and bring science and bring brilliant lawyers that would talk about the effect it would have on society and children uh, and the fact that liberty in this country is built upon freedom plus morals. And uh, But they didn't. They just said, well, the Bible says it, so that's it. We've got to be smart when we're in the marketplace and how we deal with those people that are in the marketplace because God is after them and we need to be people that can uh, carry influence. And so here we have this situation where they're trying to get some demonic power so that they can then uh, rule themselves and not God. And uh, Babel, Babel wasn't finished, like I said. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually finished it later. And because the people didn't listen to him uh, in uh, God's own country, they were taken captive by a world system. And we could actually say with Nimrod in them that Nimrod is actually the first world ruler. Uh, that phrase, um, uh, heroic warrior or mighty warrior, actually means that he was, um, what are they called today? Like Hitler took over nations, um, Napoleon tried, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes before the Maccabees. Um, good grief. I can't even think of the name, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're these world rulers that are trying to take over, or these rulers that are trying to take over the world. Um, and, and Nimrod was one of those. And uh, so that's just a little bit of history behind the Babylonian mindset that they want to conquer the world. The other aspect of Nimrod's name is if you look in the original language, he had his fist in the face of God and he was very rebellious and he was letting God know, we're not going to do what you want us to do and we're going to do this instead. And so that the response of God is to always send his people in to infiltrate the seven mountains and take them over for his kingdom, not militarily, but uh, by mindset, sowing the leaven of the kingdom. And here we have this happening in verses three through five in Daniel chapter one. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Well, there it proves that Daniel was from royalty. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king, king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into royal service. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar was looking for certain um, characteristics and the people that were going to serve in his uh, cabinet. 
Number one, they need to be strong and healthy. Uh, so this is where, you know, they, they had to be physical fit um, minus any physical defects or even mental defects is what that means. But it also shows, and I tell people this all the time, exercise is important for physical and mental endurance. And it also demonstrates a discipline and attention to one's physical health. Well, for me personally, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you have so much discipline to exercise. No, no, no. I exercised because I was sick for three years and I wanted to be moving. And that right there was my motivation. And that's been my motivation for 11 years. However, I have developed a habit, but also my perspective is my physical fitness is part of my business plan because I can't serve in the kingdom of God if I'm weak and if I'm sick. But also my body is God's home. And just like I take care of my home and I I, you know, I have someone clean it for me and I do up, uh, upkeep and maintenance. Uh, I want to be surrounded by beauty. It's the same thing with the Lord, uh, a, a healthy soul, a healthy mental and emotional state, but also a healthy body is honor to him. And I call it uh, temple maintenance. And uh, so anyway, that's things that people do look at out in the world. And I know it sounds terrible, but there is, a, a, they call it actually an probably going to offend people, but I do it all the time anyway, so it doesn't matter. But there is what's called a fat bias. And what that means is a lot of people out in the world system, regardless of all the Instagram posts and Facebook posts, it doesn't matter. Uh, now it is shifting to a degree, but research shows that when they see people that cannot control their weight, they don't think that they can handle their business as well. And so it shouldn't be that way, but that is how it is. So for me personally, I really don't care what other people think about me, but I do care what Holy Spirit thinks about me. Therefore, being strong and healthy is part of my business plan. Now, good looking. You know, I'm like, man, if he needed females back then, I wouldn't have qualified. However, he wanted handsome young men to serve him. And for the believer, this is actually um, how we carry ourselves in the marketplace. You know, you don't want to show up uh, to work or to an interview wearing, you know, uh, leggings and flip-flops, you know, so you want to carry yourself in a professional manner, whichever, um, clothing that works for your manner. So like, uh, or your business. So, you know, I don't expect to see, um, my massage therapist wearing heels, uh, while she's working on me. I don't expect, um, a tattoo artist to be dressed in a, uh, you know, a three piece suit. I don't expect uh, a chef to be dressed in, I don't know, nursing uniform. So it's not saying that you can't be comfortable. It's just saying that however you carry yourself needs to be with confidence and you should be dressed for the part and, uh, and you should not have an unkempt appearance. They were also to be well-versed in every brand of learning. The English standard version says skillful in all wisdom, uh, skillful and, um, branch, which is in, um, let's see, uh, make sure they're well gifted in our suit, uh, train these. Well, I don't know why I have the word branch in there. I don't see branch. Um, so I have no idea what I was talking about. But the word skillful is uh, S-A-K-H-A-L. And it's a verb meaning to act with insight, to be prudent, to give insight, to teach, to prosper, to consider, to ponder, to understand, to act prudently and act with devotion. So the primary meaning is to be prudent. 
Prudent means to be discreet or cautious in managing one's activities. Circumspect, and it also means to be practical, practical or careful in providing for the future, uh, and then also exercising good judgment and common sense. So what Nebuchadnezzar was looking for and what the world system is looking for in order for us to have influence, they're looking for people that know how to manage their affairs well. Uh, whether that is their bodies or their finances or their home or their vehicle or their relationships, their mental and emotional health, um, all of these things. And, you know, one of the things I've been in the book of Proverbs for years, I can't get out of it. So every day I read out of Proverbs and, you know, one of the main things I learned about Proverbs, I learned that wisdom will get you out of a mess and wisdom will also keep you out of a mess. So my philosophy, since I got myself out of a financial mess, is to do what I don't have to do before I need to do it. So I always am looking for insight in ways that can secure our future. Well, when Biden, um, I'm just going to say stole the election, uh, but whenever he became um, fake president, uh, I'm like, okay, Lord, what is a strategy for this? Because it's typical when um, someone of the Democrat Party is in office that inflation can occur, but also higher taxes. And so he gave me a strategy um, which explained why we couldn't sell a property earlier. Uh, he gave us a strategy. We sold the property. We paid down most of my husband's building. We more than halved the, um, the uh, monthly payment. And we also, by this time, had paid off all of our debt. We had our emergency savings. Uh, and so we are in a position to where we don't even feel inflation. And somehow, even with higher food prices, we're not seeing any increase of spending. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. So there's a supernatural aspect, but also um, being skillful uh, and wise. Now, the word wisdom and well-versed in the New Living Translation is Hakma, and it means wisdom, skill, experience, and shrewdness. Now, this is one of the wisdom words that cluster in uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and other wisdom literature. So wisdom always keeps company with prudence or discretion. Now, just real quick on discretion. Um, one of the things that I find in my day-to-day -day life, whether it's in a professional setting or a personal setting, People share secrets with me that the reason they do is because I'm very discreet. I don't, I don't, I don't share people's secrets. You know, I don't share things that are given to me in confidence. Um, now, if there's something that I feel that I might need to share with my spouse, I will actually stop the person and say, Hey, just so you know, I'll probably need to share this with my spouse. Is that okay? If not, you probably want to stop sharing, but discretion is also, guys, in holding your cards close to your chest. This is one thing I tell business owners. Don't share all your business ideas with everybody because someone might take them. In fact, um, I was hired to build a website for a female entrepreneur uh, earlier this year, and I built it for her, and it's quite good. And, uh, and she was very frustrated because she was so excited about her business idea here in Clovis that she shared it with the wrong person. And guess what? They opened that business before she was able to get hers open. And it hurt her. Uh, and it felt like a betrayal. And I told her, I said, never, ever share your business ideas with people just in, in random. If you've got a specific few confidants that you know will have um, discretion, go ahead. But it, even in personal settings, 
there are certain people I will not share things with because they're not discreet. So as people, marketplace ministers, marketplace influencers, discretion is very, very important. Okay, so we've got wisdom. We have prudence or discretion. For me, wisdom is executing the best plan and in the, in the best way possible for the best outcome possible. And like I said earlier, doing what you need to do before you need to do it. And you'll notice that wisdom is usually coupled with self-control. And, uh, and don't think that self-control is uh, um, discipline. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And one of the aspects of love is self-control. So if you love yourself and you love God, there is a, a self-control that's not hard. It's just a, a byproduct of your love. Okay. And then also the word wisdom in describing Nebuchadnezzar's requirements can be technical capability. So this is being good at what you're good at. This is... Every person has a skill set, a natural gifting, a skill set, and acquired knowledge that can be used in the marketplace. And so for me, I'm really good at websites. I'm really good at um, social media marketing and branding, and I'm really good at consulting. And so those are things that I now use all of the time, and they have become uh, better and better as I use them. So every one of you has a skill set, a gift set, and a personality that is specifically from God for you to use in the marketplace so that you can influence those that you come into contact. Number four, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to be gifted with knowledge and good judgment. The word gifted is also endowed, and it's yada, and it means to know, to learn, to perceive, to discern, to experience, to confess, to consider to know people relationally, so people's skills are important. Um, also to know how, to be skillful in something, to be made known, to make oneself known, and to make to know. So the basic idea is to know, especially in what to do and what to think. Um, now, I have to tell you, I have been in business situations where I'm asked a question and my heart starts beating and my stomach kind of drops because I'm like, I have no idea how to solve that problem. But what I'll do, is on the outside, they'd have, they would not know that I'm panicking. On the inside, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what's the solution to this issue? If I don't hear anything at that moment, what I'll tell them is, I will get back to you on that with a solution. We'll solve that problem because Holy Spirit's never let me down. I can say with confidence. But typically, I would say 90% of the time, he will give me the solution right there in the meeting. And then we will um, strategize, execute the plan, and it's successful. So sometimes your knowledge is on the fly <laughs> because you've never encountered specific things. You just got to, you know, do what you got to do, right? But it also means um, learning, discernment, insight, and notion, and it's also associated with wisdom. I'd like to quote this from one of the Bible dictionaries. It says, a word describes God's gift of technical or specific knowledge along with wisdom and understanding to Bezalel so he could instruct uh, or construct the tabernacle. He was one of the guys, I believe in, um, was it Exodus, that worked on some of the temple items. And he had to have a technical skill and a wisdom given to him. But it, it didn't just come out of the sky. He already had the technical ability, but God then anointed his technical ability to where he then stood out above all the others with excellence. And that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to take what you have anointed so that your skill, your knowledge, your gifting will put you before people that you need to be put before so that you can influence uh, them for the kingdom of God. 
Uh, now, it's also a knowledge that fills the rooms of a house built by understanding. And then also he was looking for, like I said, good judgment. The word good is buy-in, and it means to discern, to perceive, to observe, to pay attention to, to be intelligent, to be discreet, to understand, and also the ability to teach others. Judgment is the word um, that means the ability to gain knowledge by study and can refer to the practical knowledge of administer, administering a government. So what this means is that um, in order to be an influencer in God's covert operations in the marketplace, you need to have an ability to learn new things and you need to have an ability to add to your arsenal of knowledge when it comes to your skill set. You know, I heard this statement probably when I was in my 20s. I'm now 49. And it was from a guy named Rick Joyner who said that the reason um, certain uh, sports professionals and musicians are so, um, well, let's put it this way, masters at what they do is they practice the basics all the time. So part of humility is a willingness to go over and over the things that you already know uh, and make them better, but on top of that, adding more knowledge um, to what you know now and then executing and implementing that knowledge in your business, your life, whatever uh, it might be. Uh, and I, I think it's for all areas. I mean, if you're married, you need to learn how to be um, even happier married and, and what that looks like and your finances. I'm always saying finances. In fact, I started playing around with Investopedia. They have this investment simulator, and I'm quite proud of my companies that I have picked in spite of the dips, and it's not real money yet, so we're all good, but I'm always learning, and that is what Nebuchadnezzar was looking like uh, or looking for uh, in the people that are going to serve in his, um, his government, and the final thing is they were suited to serve, so the position was going to be in the royal palace. Suited uh, in the original language is the idea of possessing the strength, power, and physical and intellectual capacity and determination that was needed for that position. And, you know, I don't, I mean, this might be a, a throwback. I don't know, but I know when I first became a Christian, uh, and I'm a spirit-filled Christian, so I was um, introduced to charismatic circles, it was almost like intelligence was downplayed, you know, that um, it was arrogant to be intelligent or it was arrogant to be good at something or I don't know. It just seemed like, you know, smarts and intelligence and um, being practical and pragmatic uh, just were frowned upon. You know, we need to be worshiping and um, having visions and, you know, empty ourselves. He must increase. I must decrease and all of that stuff. Uh, and I, even saving back in the day was considered a sin because if you save money, you weren't trusting God. And then later I learned in Proverbs, actually, it's not smart to not save money. <laughs> just be generous and willing to give it all up if he tells you to. But, uh, and so I think we have this idea that we're not supposed to be intelligent, but I have to tell you, if you have the mind of Christ, he was the most intelligent person ever. And so we should be the most intelligent people in our field. Whatever sphere of marketplace we're in, we should be the best. We should be excelling. We should be the smartest. And we should have the ear of Kings meaning that the people we work with, especially those that uh, are above us in position, uh, they should want and seek us out to solve problems. And uh, so, you know, throw all that stuff out. Um, in fact, gosh, I, I don't have my, um, my Passion Bible, but in Proverbs, I think I'm in chapter 14 of the Passion. It talks about how important intelligence is. 
um, but intelligence in God's mind is gained first from an understanding of God, and then he adds the intelligence and the smarts to everything that you do. So don't don't be ashamed if you are intelligent and smart, you're excelling. Um, don't get a false humility on you. Um, thank God for him anointing you in those areas and then use it in his covert operations in the marketplace, okay? So uh, serving as I did, serving someone, but also on a leadership level, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't looking for followers. He needed strong, capable leaders who were trained in the language and the writings of Babylon, which could include its history, uh, traditional literature, as we might think used here, culture, etc. And the same is needed today in the marketplace minister, especially in the last days. We need marketplace ministers who exercise self-control over their bodies and food in order to be healthy, that take care of their appearance and dress appropriately for each occasion, the ability to act prudently in all affairs, know what to think and what to do in all situations, possess some type of technical ability that is a benefit to society, intelligence, the ability to gain knowledge through study, and leaders who are not intimidated by other leaders, nor do they use their power to usurp those they are called to serve. So this is like basically the first five verses in Daniel. And I did not realize that Daniel was such a marketplace equipping book. And by the way, marketplace is both business and political. The entire Bible is actually very political. Um, I have an entire teaching. If you sign up uh, at the Hub Apostolic Training Center under Church Shift, You'll get access to um, all the teaching on what an ecclesia or a gathering of believers is supposed to look like according to the word. But also I go into marketplace training and then political training uh, because we have got to um, coalesce and network a group of marketplace ministers together who understand they are not a second class citizen because they're not in the pulpit ministry, that instead they are the front lines for the kingdoms that God wants to infiltrate covertly and that through the use of their skill and their technical expertise and the way they carry themselves, they can um, basically create a trust currency with those that they have contact with in the marketplace and begin to gain the ear of kings and begin to influence society like Daniel and his friends did. So here I didn't know how to start the end of the age teaching or study that the Lord told me to get into, the first thing he tells me is Daniel, and the first thing he shows me is marketplace ministers. We are crucial to his end-time plan. You are crucial to his end-time plan. So, anyway, speaking of health, it is time for me to train before I have my Jesus time at 4 to end my day. And uh, I'll probably be doing this once a week. And then also, if I um, am able to, I'm going to start... Uh, um, tomorrow, a live training on urgent education when it comes to um, some political matters that the Lord has really put on my heart and that I've been training and equipping myself for the last probably year or two, uh, maybe even longer. And uh, it's going to be very biblical and also important because, guys, I don't know if you noticed, America is becoming a goat nation and God does not want her a goat nation. Israel was chosen by God. America chose God. And so we're um, in covenant with him and he wants to do everything he can. And so I will be expanding uh, some of the things that he has shown me as far as the political realm. So anyway, I hope to see you tomorrow. I'm not sure when. It really just depends on how my morning appointments go. But uh, hopefully I'll be able to go live then. So have a great afternoon and hopefully I'll see you tomorrow.